Uh, this is a big job and it's a big call uh, and we're working through it in the usual methodical and considered way. Uh, I'm in the process right now of consulting with my Cabinet colleagues and with others as well. Uh, I hope to finalise a view in the coming weeks. Uh, I'm aiming to make an announcement in July. July. Uh, but In July, uh, but certainly by the time the Parliament returns. Wow, what rhetoric. A methodical and considered way. Sounds like the previous Australian coalition government talking about something to do with the climate crisis. But it's not. No, it's Labor's treasurer, Jim Chalmers, talking with the Radio National Breakfast Program host, Patricia Carvellis. They were talking about the replacement of the Reserve Bank Australia Governor, Philip Lowe. I just wish that they would apply considered and careful thought to how they deal with the climate crisis because it can have a far bigger impact on Australian society than anything Philip Lowe can or can't do. However, what we can do here is welcome you to the latest episode of Climate Conversations. I am your host, Robert McLean. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton in Northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Now, before I go any further, I'd urge you to follow this podcast because if you do that, you'll be automatically alerted every time I publish a new episode. The Melbourne-based Psychology for a Safe Climate do some wonderful work and they're in the midst of trying to raise some money to help their operation. So what follows is the audio from a promotional clip by Psychology for a Safe Climate and you'll find the link to the website in the show notes. Hi there, my name's Carol Rudd. I'm the founder of Psychology for a Safe Climate. We're a group of mental health professionals that got together to work out how we could contribute understanding of climate change denial when we began in 2010. Since then, we've expanded our work and begun to support those working on climate change, whether they're activists or uh, researchers or scientists or policymakers, or those who are working in um, environmental groups. Our, the focus of our work is on helping the people who work in those organisations to connect with the emotional load of the work they're doing, because indeed it is a heavy load. The more the, the crisis deepens, the more the load deepens for them. One of the groups we work with is mental health professionals. We give those our mental health professionals a chance to focus on their own emotional response to climate change as a preparation for the work they are doing in their clinical work when people come to them in a, a state of stress about the climate crisis and are experiencing deep distress that needs support. I've gained so much out of doing the PD, more than I probably actually realised that I would. The emotional side, me just you know, being a human in you know, facing the climate reality, um, you know, that was really held. I felt supported and um, was able to actually process my own feelings as well. Uh, which is actually essential. It's an emergent space, so we're all still learning, and it's so important that we're part of a community to support that learning and to keep growing. And, and as the, the climate emergency evolves and you know, we continue to 
to face um, what these times bring. We'd like you to consider pushing the donate button to be able to support our work. We've got future plans to grow our climate cafes, to reach out to more people in the community and give, us, give them a space to talk about their feelings, to be heard by others and to discover they're not alone. The feedback we get is that people who are in the climate cafes benefit the most from that experience, that they are not alone. The risk of burnout to all of us is severe unless we care for ourselves. The load is heavy and that's why we're asking your support for our work so that we might be able to grow the support we offer others. So please donate today and help us grow our work. Whatever you might think about civil society, it plays a critical role in counteracting the climate crisis. And just a few days ago, the organisation Australian Progress, in alliance with Stronger Charities Alliance and Our Democracy, organised a webinar entitled Proposed Changes to Electoral Laws. First, we'll hear a little intro from that webinar with Elise Daly, who is the Impact Director with Australian Progress, and then we'll hear from... Saffron Zuma, who is a lawyer with the Australian Democracy Network. And you'll find links to both those organisations in the show notes. While we're all advocating in the lead up to elections and throughout election cycles, many of us experience roadblocks from harmful industries like big polluters, big tobacco, the junk food industry, the weapons industry, gambling, property developers, and the list goes on. These industries deploy tactics that increase their influence and access to decision makers. And as a result, often community and civil society voices can be squeezed out. Many of the issues we care about are negotiated through the democratic process. And when that process isn't working well, it impacts all of us. So there's an important opportunity right now to improve our democratic process, to strengthen the advocacy role of charities and make it more possible for us to win on the issues that we all care about. I think that's probably enough for me. Let's get into it. I'd like to introduce Saffron Zoma, Executive Director of the Australian Democracy Network, um, who'll start the briefing, sharing some background context to explain the moment we're in and what it means. Um, thank you, Saffron. Over to you. Hello, hello everybody. So lovely to be here. Um, I should just say I'm dialing in from Ngunnawalan, Nambri country here at Parliament House, where I'm in the corner of a little lunchroom. The bells may ring, people may come in. Um, but yes, we're on the scene. Uh, so I'm really uh, excited to be meeting with all of you today because I think what we're talking about is a really big moment on our path to a better democracy that works for all of us. And as all you changemakers know, these big moments never just happen. Uh, they happen because we create them. Um, and this is a moment that I think all of us have worked together for so long to create. Um, so it's worth just taking a moment, I guess, to reflect on how we got here before I pass on to uh, other speakers who will explain more about exactly where we are. Um, so, so there's so many ways to tell this story, but I like to start in 2014 when the Minerals Council of Australia declared that environment groups should avoid advocacy and stick to planting trees and picking up trash. And because in our system, powerful corporate 
industries have so much influence over our political system, the government then uh, took up the call and launched into a series of really devastating attacks on civil society and our ability to advocate for our causes and communities. It was essentially an industry using the government as a tool to attack its opponents. Um, that forced us to create one of the most creative, innovative and effective civil society collaborations that I have ever had the pleasure to be a part of. And Hands Off Our Charities was able to create enough collective power that we stopped those bad reforms every time and protected our sector and our right to advocate for the causes and communities that we represent, which is an achievement that all of us should just be super proud of um, and one that was very hard won. And I know many of you on the call have been working uh, together for to protect civil society in that way for many years. Um, we haven't been satisfied with that though, because I think there is this acknowledgement that the root cause of that cascade of uh, attacks was really the undue influence of a powerful corporation. And so now we also have the Our Democracy Alliance, which is another really incredible, groundbreaking, unique and super effective alliance of a really diverse group of change makers who all see the influence of a powerful corporation as a major obstacle that's standing between them and the progress that they seek. So I really see these two pieces of work as attacking two different sides of the same problem and solution, which is that we need a robust, vibrant civil society that can speak up for community and hold governments to account. And we need to ratchet down the influence of big money on our system so that there is more space for people and the planet to be right at the heart of decisions. Now, don't forget, you'll find a link to that webinar in the show notes. I've been offered the chance to interview Tucker Perkins for Climate Conversations, but Tucker Perkins is an enthusiast of propane gas, which is in fact a fossil gas. So is he full of empty rhetoric? So here's a part of one of his podcasts, Path to Zero. Then you can make up your own mind. You'll find a link to the entire podcast in the show notes. Welcome to a special edition of Path to Zero, recorded from the Reuters Global Energy Transition Summit in New York City. Now, here's your host, Tucker Perkins. One of the great things about being in New York for the Reuters Global Energy Transition Summit is being close to the incredible experts in climate and sustainability at the Columbia University Climate School. We're fortunate to welcome Dr. Lisa Dale, an expert in sustainable development, and we're going to talk to her about her book, Climate Change Adaptation. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. Dale. Thanks for having me, Tucker. You've got, we've got so much we're going to talk about. It's really one of my favorite topics that we rarely talk about is adaptation. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about your book. But let's start with you and your work at Columbia and maybe even how you got to writing this book. Sure. Um, so my background um, includes time spent out in Colorado, um, where I worked both in academia and I worked in politics for a long time for state government. Um, I've been at Columbia now for just finished up my sixth year there. Um, and my research is on climate change adaptation. And I study that in two 
very different types of landscapes. I study wildfire policy in the American West, quite fitting for the air quality we're experiencing today in New York City. Um, and I do research as well in Sub-Saharan Africa. Most recently, I've been working in Rwanda now for a number of years, and I study rural uh, development in Rwanda. Both of these settings, wildfire policy in the American West and rural smallholder farmers in Rwanda, you can ask some of the same questions about how these different communities are being affected by climate change, how policies are being crafted designed to help them adapt to climate change, how well those policies are working. So that sort of unites for me thematically these very different areas of inquiry that have guided me throughout my career. The book itself is part of a series of books called the um, Earth Institute Primer Series. And I think my book is the maybe fifth or sixth, I'm not sure, um, in the series. And they're designed to uh, give the scientists at the Earth Institute, now part of the climate school, the climate school is brand new, um, but these are still the Earth Institute primer series, uh, to give scientists from the Earth Institute an opportunity to explain complicated and technical and scientific topics for a lay audience, hence the primer series. Yes, we've reached the end of another episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. Now, please don't forget you'll find links to all those stories I've mentioned in the show notes, along with several others. So until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And please, if you enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to share with your friends. In fact, I implore you to share with your friends, because we all need to know all we possibly can about the climate crisis. And beyond that, I'd love to hear from you. I want to know how you feel about this podcast. And you can contact me via email at number 7 at icloud.com. And please don't forget to follow this podcast, because if you do that, you'll be automatically alerted every time I publish a new episode. Now please take care.